Greetings, and welcome to First Impressions, a production of Marginalia Radio. I'm one of your co-hosts, Christian Peterson. Thanks for listening. Joining me today is Birgit Meyer. She's a professor of religious studies at the University of Utrecht. Today, she's here to speak to us about her new book, Sensational Movies, Video, Vision, and Christianity in Ghana, which was published with the University of California Press in 2015. Welcome. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. This is really a wonderful book, and I hope people will pick it up and read it, hopefully sparked on by this conversation. But I think for a lot of listeners, it might be ground that is not so familiar to them. So do you think you could begin by giving us a little bit of a sketch of the cultural and social political context in which you're working? What do we need to know about Ghana as a political entity, historically, about the role of Christianity, to really understand your project? Well, yes, Ghana is located in West Africa and it has more than 20 million inhabitants. And especially in the southern part of the country, the larger part of the population is Christian, with also some Muslim presence. Now, within Christianity, Pentecostal charismatic churches are on the rise, but also in the more established mainstream Protestant and Catholic churches, Pentecostalism is also very important, which means that there is a strong emphasis on the Holy Spirit, the desire to be born again, to make a whole change in one's life, start once again, practices of deliverance and uh, narratives that are very much grounded in a dualist understanding of God and the devil. I have shown in my earlier work, I have been doing research in Ghana, in fact, since the late 1980s, that this strong emphasis on the image of the devil can be traced back to the activities of Western missionaries in this part of Africa since uh, the mid-19th century, when they tried to convert local populations to Christianity. And one of their central preachings was, in fact, that the gods of the heathens, as the non-religious people were called, are demons. The idea was that indigenous culture was very much a culture and religion geared to the power of the satanic. And so the missionaries very much preached against Satan, teaching people how to reach out to the Christian God. And what I found when starting my research on Christianity in Ghana now was the very strong emphasis on this image of the devil, both within Christian churches, with particular emphasis, one should say, in Pentecostal churches, but also in the context of popular culture. And popular culture is very much the context in which my current book is situated. There's lots of research that's been done on religion and film from a kind of a religious studies perspective, which often treats film as simply as narrative. And one of the things I really appreciated about your book was your approach to this filmic culture. And you say, quote, you look at the public role of video movies from a material praxis oriented approach. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that approach entails, and how do you see it differing from other studies of filmic cultures? First, in order to also ground the phenomenon a bit more in a particular historical setting, so I should perhaps say a bit more about that. I look at a very popular phenomenon which started in the mid-1980s, and I encountered it very much in the early 1990s. 
And video film production emerged, in fact, at a moment when the state film industry, which sought to educate people to develop their African personality and so on, had broken down very much, which had to do with, of course, the high amount of money that is needed to keep up uh, celluloid productions with the rise of video as a very cheap and easily accessible medium, it was possible for also even untrained persons to shoot video movies, which would be very, very close in order, obviously, to draw audiences to the sentiments and ideas of the people around. And it is this video film industry, but it is an industry in a highly informal uh, setting. So this video film industry emerged at a moment at which Ghana started uh, to open up to democracy. So, and hence a new kind of public sphere, a moment at which also Christianity became a major public force that became very articulate and loud and present in public space and also had a strong imprint on public culture in general, and then film in particular. And lastly, so this rise of Pentecostalism and this Pentecostal light film culture, as I call it, also occurred at the moment of the opening up of the Ghanaian economy to neoliberal capitalism and the privatization of the state, which also implied a withdrawal of the state from the politics of cultural representation in a particular way. So the state sold the old film industry and left it in a way to private people to organize it. So what we witnessed in the early 1990s is in fact a new public sphere in the making. And it is in this new public sphere that Pentecostal churches, but also this video film culture, intervene. I understand these movies, and so here we come to your question, not simply as we could say mirrors or perhaps even a seismograph of what moves people. These films can be read like this and mm -hmm. analyzed like this. But I also understand these movies as intervening in fact, in shaping how people sense and feel. So they are very much extensions of a Pentecostalite perspective on the world that, in a way, translates this perspective into quite powerful images, but also invites people in the process of watching to sense, as it were, along. So it is in this sense that these movies are sensational movies that also involve people in shared imaginations and sensations. And that is what very much made for my interest uh, for this film. So I do, do not see these films as mere representations, although that would be already interesting as such, but I see them as intervening in shaping a particular sphere, we could say, in the public sphere. And it is in this sense that these films can best be analyzed also as as actors that operate in a particular way of making certain things public and also tuning people's sensations, their aesthetics uh, and, and ethics into a particular direction. And I think this is in a way distinctive from a great deal of, of other studies of film. Yeah, it, it's unique, I think. You've done a very good job in laying this Thanks. out. So just to kind of get to know the context here a little bit better, there's, there's multiple actors. There's the, the producers, there's the government, there's audience expectations. Can you talk a little bit about the limitations that are placed on film producers? How do they navigate these boundaries and what makes films successful with audiences? 
Yeah, that's a very interesting question and it has occupied me quite a lot. The producers, they came in at a moment when celluloid was no longer functioning. And in the beginning, in the mid-1980s, when this industry started, of course, they had to do their best so as to earn at least the investment back, which meant that they had to study quite much audience responses to their movies so as to learn, in a way, from these responses and make films that would resonate. We talk here about a highly informal industry that has to operate without the support by the state and would also not be eligible to get loans from banks and so on. So in this sense, it is a truly popular industry that in the end depends very much on audience appreciation. The industry went through a whole phase, which I describe also as, in a way, the development, the invention of video as a medium. And video as a medium was, in the first instance, mediated through celluloid. It was seen as a kind of substitute. So the first video movies were still shown in the big cinema houses, but gradually the capacity of video, of course, to allow for multiple reproductions was taken up. So the industry developed towards the sale of home videos, street sales, and uh, moved out of the space of the cinema up to the present moment where a lot of movies are made available also via the net and so on. My own study is limited to the period between the mid-1980s till 2010. Now, one of the common motifs that comes through in these films revolves around representations of occult figures. You tackle this in many ways, so perhaps how is this seemingly impossible task accomplished, a representation of the occult? What kind of theological vocabularies are film producers drawing from? And what types of comments are being made about indigenous Ghanaian religious practices? Yes, that's a very, very interesting question, and it's a key question, in fact, in my analysis as well. There is a central uh, chapter, I would say, in the book, which is called Film as Revelation. It is revelation, indeed, in the Christian sense, as understood in the Ghanaian setting and beyond in other West African contexts, where these movies are also seen. The revelation that allows to see, in fact, what happens in the realm of the spiritual. So a distinction is made between what is called the physical and the spiritual, two, we could say, vernacular theological categories. And films are very much framed in such a way that they claim to lay bare what occurs in the realm of the spiritual, placing a strong emphasis on the powers of darkness and showing, as it were, their operation. This is very much grounded, indeed, in Pentecostal preachings, where we also hear a lot about operations of the powers of darkness, whose evil work is shown and so on, and talked about by, by pastors and other born-again uh, Christians. But the distinction between the spiritual and the physical is also very much grounded in indigenous understandings of the realm of the unseen. And in my book, I also compare the filmmakers, in fact, with indigenous priests. And I suggest that analogy exists between, in fact, the figure of the mask as indeed a representation that creates a particular double and makes present something which is invisible as such, but 
evoked, in fact, by the material form of the mask and indeed the work of filming and figuration. So we could say that the movies are very much grounded in both local Christian as well as indigenous understandings of dealing with the uh, invisible and seeking in a way to shape it through a process of figuration that creates indeed this paradox of pictures of the occult, of course a paradox by definition, that offers people particular images and imaginations of something they cannot see with their naked eyes. And these images are, are powerful, they are looked at in a voyeuristic mode, but at the same time, of course, there is always a doubt in how far the image uh, represents that what it refers to or in how far it exists as a mask that rather conceals. Much of what you argue in the book is that these videos also are setting up a relationship between the lived realities that people are in and imagined notions of urban modernity. What are the social effects of video film for Accra publics in this sense of modernity? In chapter two, I, I talk very much about film and the city and show that, in fact, the city that is expected and desired to come, the modern city, the space of uh, development and urbanity, is very much mediated through film. So there is a clear difference between the city as lived and the city as imaged and imagined via the movies. And I noted a very strong interest, in fact, in the imaginaries offered by the movies, which very much resemble and also shape how people imagine the city to come as also a kind of realm of modernity and a realm of a future, a utopian uh, realm. And I find that the analysis, in fact, of the representation of urban space in movies allows indeed to understand how people imagine their conditions, but also how they imagine a kind of future to strive for. Of course, there's lots more that you explore, and we've only barely scratched the surface, but what do you hope that readers might come away with in understanding and, and reading your work? Well, what I noted and found so important is that these movies cannot be reduced to African modes of dealing with the world that are ultimately grounded in local uh, traditions. What always struck me was the extent to which video movies, in a way, incorporate the world. So they take up also mediations of Africa and African traditions as we know them through Hollywood movies, for example. So I think that these movies, they really offer insight into what Jean-Francois Bayard calls the process of extraversion, through which, in a way, the world is, is taken in in an African context. So what we face here is not a kind of limited take on one's own culture and what one knows, but a continuing preparedness to take in powers and images and ideas from outside. And I think certainly in a time as ours where we have a strong tendency, if we look at the United States, but also politics, culture and society in Europe of closing down, here we have a quite alternative model, in fact, of opening up to the world. And I think this is really a popular culture that is incredibly uh, in motion. It is surrealistic, it is fantastic, but it is boundless. Well, I hope that my book can alert readers to the potential of the imagination and the ways in which it goes 
wild and is unbound and to ultimately also of course realize that it would be quite problematic to claim a strong dualism between African modes of imaging the world and other modes. So I also hope to point at shared uh, human ways of imagining that what is unknown. And I think this is a very human uh, uh, project. Yeah, you certainly succeed in doing that in the book and I think a whole lot more. So I hope people will pick it up and take a look. Thanks again for making the time to talk about your wonderful book. Thank you very much for your interest. Again, we were talking about Sensational Movies, Video, Vision, and Christianity in Ghana, published with the University of California Press. Thanks to Birgit Meyer for joining us today, and thanks to all of you for listening to another episode of First Impressions. First Impressions.